the internet's like so slow everywhere right now. <laughs> oh, I am so happy. I've got, I've got great fiber internet here. Mm-hmm. If I was still living in Florida, oh, it used to be bad on any given evening. Yeah. <laughs> Back in cave country, right? Yeah. Down there. Yeah. yeah. That works. Um, so people are starting to join now. We'll give okay. them a couple more seconds to really get in there and then, um, cool. I'll, Share this once my internet's catching up here. There we go. All right, I think we can go ahead and get started. All right, so um, thank you, Jill, for hanging out with us. Um, yeah. Um, another chance of getting an interview. Um, it's always great talking to you. We had a really great time with you being at the shop last time you were in. Um, yeah. How are you doing? I'm good. Things have changed a lot since I last saw you. <laughs> Just a couple months ago, eh? <laughs> a couple months. Yeah. Who would have ever imagined? I know. I'm here in uh, Carleton Place, Ontario, Canada, so just south of the nation's capital, Ottawa, yep. and uh, here at home, isolating like everybody else. So mm-hmm. I'm the homebound explorer these days. <laughs> nice. I, I saw. So explain that little video you did. I didn't get a chance to click on it because I was working on other stuff. What were you up to there, huh? Oh, last night's video. Yeah, yeah. I, I yeah, I put up a little uh, a little public service announcement from you know I'm the explorer in residence for the Royal Canadian Geographical Society, which seems like a really ironic <laughs> title right now. Eh? Mm-hmm. So I thought I'd put up a little uh, a little video about what the explorer in residence does these days. <laughs> nice. And where was that? That was on your uh, personal page or your? Uh... Uh, it's on YouTube and it's on my Facebook page. And right. yeah, I've, I've been. Just putting it out on social media today. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. That's too funny. This is what happens when you're left at home and you have a couple beers in the fridge. And <laughs> yeah, absolutely. And, and Dropkick Murphys, right? You got to watch the Dropkick Murphys oh, not God, too long yeah. ago. I didn't realize you were a fan. Oh yeah. Well, you know, I mean, it's really interesting to see all the all the stuff that's being put out into the world, free by people. It, it's it's kind of that kind of stuff is heartwarming. Whether it's the Dropkick Murphys or you know, I read a kid's one of my kids' books on. Yep. Uh, <laughs> I saw that on YouTube or or you know, put out one of my movies. It's like that's kind of one of the nice uh, nice things that's happening is some new social connections like this mm-hmm. online with people. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. I mean, we're socially distancing, but we can still, you know, interact with each other. Um, well, it's funny. You and I are always so damn busy that we lose touch with some of our friends. And yeah. so, you know, got nothing but time right now. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. That's, yeah. it's been, it's been interesting overall. Um, so you were supposed to probably be at Beneath the Sea this coming weekend, I'm assuming, right? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah. <laughs> There's been a lot that's been canceled uh, yeah. already, you know, obviously my next six months of, of travel related work, which is everything that I do has been mm-hmm. canceled. So yeah. yeah, it's a whole new reality for all of us. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. It's, uh... So what are you working on? Are you doing any, getting a chance to work on anything from home at this point in time um, well, um, that you were trying to catch up on? Yeah. I, well, yeah, I cleaned the oven. I cleaned the grout. I, <laughs> you know, <laughs> it's amazing. All those, those lists of like uh, home things that you've always wanted to do. Uh, I've now have time for, including I've like serviced and reserviced all of my scuba equipment. Right. <laughs> um, but yeah, I, I'm, doing research for for new pitches and future projects and um, spending more time writing these days um, 
you know, speculative stuff yep. really is who knows uh, whether the bulk of what I've always done will ever happen again. You know, we, none of us really know what the right. future holds right now. So I'm just trying to stay yeah. productive. And, uh, you know, honestly, I've been somewhat, how should you say, um, like creatively paralyzed <laughs> In right. some ways, you know, I, I'm, I'm trying to stay focused. I'm trying to stay um, motivated, but I start something and I'm very dis- easily distracted by the news right now. So mm-hmm. I'm developing new work habits that take me away from the news and get me back into doing what I do well, which is creative things. And yep. um, I, and I'm not trying not to be too hard on myself. So, you know, creating a video last night of me exploring my house <laughs> was... <laughs> of no financial gain but definitely made me feel better <laughs> yeah absolutely uh yeah. is it uh, i've been able to dive at all i saw that you were out not too long ago but have you gotten out at all yeah you know it's funny because i do have local diving that i can do here I've, I've i've got a like a 10 kilometer long cave and i'm doing some research with a local biologist all that solo because the cave yeah. is like hardcore dark and silty and shitty and yeah. um you know <laughs> yeah. all the wonderful things that i love <laughs> exactly i've been kind of torn like i i i won't be exposing anyone you know to me like it, it won't be breaking these terms of social isolation but there's part of me that's thinking ah, should i really go in an overhead environment right now um like, is that, it's not just my risk, just like the whole coronavirus thing. It's not just my risk. It's how I might infect other people, but I'm not going to infect anyone else by going cave diving. But what if something happened? Um, How does that affect the community? And so up until this point, I've kind of decided not to go diving. Um, As this stretches out longer and longer then I may decide that that's a reasonable risk to take yeah. i don't i don't know i i gotta really grapple my head around it it's yeah. um of Looking course I also have to response right, right. So. so i don't even know if any of my colleagues in the area are doing fills anyway but yeah. and it's yeah. a hard choice it's mm-hmm. a hard choice it is i am getting on my bicycle this afternoon but nice. that's <laughs> yeah. great that's, yeah, I've been thinking about that. We went from seventy to thirty and six inches of snow back to fifty. It's been all over the place. <laughs> so oh, I know. Well, we're, our weather is pretty similar to yours. Yeah. We're a little bit nastier. <laughs> yeah, yeah. But yeah, it's like. But finally, finally, the last bits of the snow banks and the ice are are going away. Even though we had a blanket of snow twice last last right. week, we might get another one. It's not staying anymore. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's mm-hmm. little bits and pieces here and there, which is nice. So what about you? Have you been diving or? Uh, no, I was supposed to go this weekend, but going back yeah. to the hospital and getting work again, um, mm-hmm. it becomes a, yeah, I'm working nights. So I opted for nights because mm-hmm. I know that's kind of where the need is. So um, mm-hmm. not really getting to do any, doing the original plan. I get to service everybody else's gear. So <laughs> that's, right, that's right. my current diving position. Uh, we got yeah. a question from one of the people that's on live. Mm-hmm. Um what do you see the distant future is for rebreathers? I guess what's the future for rebreathers and, and what's your take on on rebreathers? And probably I think what he's going for is the potential increase of use of rebreathers now that it's they're I don't want to say more mainstream, but they're a little more yeah. known. You know? Yeah. So completely unrelated to the coronavirus. Yes, which is completely kind of... unrelated. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> um yeah, I mean they've I've been diving rebreathers since um uh the mid to late 90s so a long time and uh, you know I remember back then saying 
you know, at one point we're going to see more rebreathers on dive sites than open mm-hmm. circuit. Yep. And it's kind of happening in the, in the technical world. Anyway, yeah. uh, I think in terms of technical rebreathers, the next big step forward is, is, is ubiquitous solid state sensing. Mm-hmm. So solid state O2, solid state CO2, um, solid state helium sensors and everything yep. um, so that we lose some of the consumable aspects. Yep. Um, uh, also, in the near future, I see a lot of people tinkering with rebreathers and figuring out how to turn them into ventilators. Yeah, um, <laughs> working on that. <laughs> yeah. Uh-huh. yeah. Um, you know, in 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 the big picture, rebreathers aren't all that complicated, right? right but what yeah. we do have to do is get rid of the the aspects of rebreathers that are finicky and consumable. And that's the sensors. That's the most vulnerable part of a rebreather. And, yep. um, and so turning that into a solid state thing that doesn't expire will be yep. um, a big change. And we can do that right, right. now. Yeah. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it just has to be implemented in a cost-effective way into the marketplace. Yeah. yeah. And then looking, I mean, that's, that's one of those things where consumables, like the nice unknown about a scrubber, is you go you don't know and you have to change it because you don't know you know you're taking a risk where mm-hmm. sensors you can see which if people aren't familiar mm-hmm. they, you can see the millivolts on them and you can but they'll drop out at any point in time but you can look at the millivolts and be like yeah i think i'm okay like yeah and, and you once, can, we're, once we're solid state we don't have to worry right, about calibrating exactly. we don't have to worry about expiring same thing with co2 then suddenly yeah. we can trust the numbers coming right. from the, the co2 sensor and uh and then we know exactly what our scrubber is doing. Yeah. Um, yeah. 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 Should be nice. Uh, mm-hmm. Do you think they're going to be more widespread going forward? Well, I mean, they're expensive, and and you know, economically, this we're in a we're in a recession already. Yeah. Um, and the first thing to go is luxury stuff. Rebreathers mm-hmm. are luxury, so yeah. um, you know, you're feeling it in the dive shop already. Yeah. Um, but you know, can we can we financially support rebreather diving. I don't know. I don't right, know. Yeah. We're going to see. I think that'd be that and travel and and diving in general are going to be something that people cut from their lives when they face the realities of, of life ahead. Right. The industry itself is is running into... A, yeah, a we've got to rethink the industry mm-hmm. uh, in interesting ways. There's, there's an opportunity in some ways, um, but it's going to require some creative thinking for sure. Um, do you have any thoughts on that? Where where the industry might go? What you know? What you think might happen? Yeah. You know, I, I have been thinking about that a lot. I've been thinking about um, a a smart manufacturer today might consider a model where they say, "All right, we're going to support X number of regional good stores." Right? Mm-hmm. Say, okay, like you know. Hey, Jason's shop. Uh, we're going to support his shop. Then we're going to need one in, you know, New York State or two in New York State, and some in different parts of Florida, or whatever. Um, and then tell you that you no longer need to buy and carry stock. And they create a visual, rich opportunity to display the options. Um, and then you have some kind of a biomap device, like the kind of thing that Fourth Element does, in order mm-hmm. to photograph you for a perfect fit for your suit. So someone comes into you, right, and says, "Hey, Jason, I want to learn how to dive," or "Hey, I want to buy this," or whatever. You biomap the person with two quick photographs, 
and then you start showing them options of what's the suitable equipment for them mm -hmm. and then they pick out what they want and and then you call the manufacturer and they you say all right they want this bc they want this regulator with this configuration and that hose and it's personally configured at the factory it's shipped to you you get it to the customer do the final fit and adjustment um and there's an economic model that supports all of that so because you know the reality is it's hard enough for you to carry stock these days yeah. it's it's i used on a dive shop i know how bad it was 20 years ago um but to carry every size and every color and every brand and everything else so i think there'll be less variety potentially available but there'll be enough right like yep. you know how how choosy do you have to be about this bcd versus that bcd <laughs> right you yep. want something that fits that has the features that you want and if those features could be custom configured for you at the manufacturer level and then shipped to you the destination that does the fit the training and the pass off and if the manufacturer prices it appropriately to support you because you've got to provide the air fills and the service in the future yep. that there is an opportunity for a model mm -hmm. that economically works for all if everybody's not greedy right, right yeah. there you go. <laughs> so your shop the most important part of your shop is going to be some really nice big screens mm -hmm. and a couch and like a place for people to hang out and tell yep. stories and um, have visiting explorers and yep. it's going to be much more of a clubhouse yep. um, than a place that's full of stuff right yep. and that's what we actually have already been going on we've got the couch over yep. there we had to upgrade our couch because people were sitting on them and now we're filling mm -hmm. up the couches and we got some screens we still yep. got plenty of product here but um, yeah you're already doing these kinds of events like you yep. know i was at your shop personally now mm -hmm. we're online together and these yep. are the kinds of things that knit together a community um so is that scary sure yep. um, because it requires a whole new rethink at the manufacturing level yep. um but in a way you know it does become more responsive to the customer it becomes more specialized um, there's less waste um, there's less potential for economic hardship uh, mm -hmm. because you're not gonna have to buy a hundred thousand dollars worth of stock because someone says you have to if you want to sell their stuff right yeah yeah, yeah. makes it complicated but yeah that's mm -hmm. um, so off of industry and on to um, I'm not sure if you can answer this question, but um, is there any, and I've been kind of ask, asking everybody, is there any dive that you haven't done yet that you really, really want to do? Oh, yeah. yeah? <laughs> There's tons. Are you There's kidding tons. me? Um, I don't call it a bucket list because I basically get to live my, my dream every day, right? <laughs> yeah. But yeah, there's all kinds of places all over the world that I still want to go to, places that are beyond my depth range that I need an exosuit for mm -hmm. <laughs> and stuff that's reasonable that I just haven't had the financial resources to visit. So yep. yeah, I mean, I've got over 8,000 dives now in my log, but, uh, but I've barely scratched the surface. I've been to every continent, mm -hmm. <laughs> every ocean, yep. um, but lots more to do. Um, what was your, and I might know the answer to this one, but what was your scariest dive that you've done? Um, and I think you kind of talked about it at our shop, but, uh, yeah, uh, yeah, I've had a few that I wasn't sure if I was going to come home from. Um, I've been in a cave, uh, trapped behind a scientist who panicked, got stuck and the cave was only, um, uh, you know, as high as the space under your bed, basically. So mm -hmm. your shoulders are scraping the ceiling, your belly's on the floor and, um, uh, my my partner got entangled um 
got stuck, panicked, silted it out, broke the guideline and my one of two side mount tanks in wrestling to get my partner free, um, started to free flow. <laughs> so, Beautiful. <laughs> yeah, I had to turn that hand wheel on and off for each uh, breath and patch the guideline a couple times and, and um, managed to prevail. <laughs> nice. But yeah, that was, that was a tough one. Mm-hmm. Yeah. What about the ice cave that I'm sure that, you know, yeah. we talked about at the shop. Yeah, inside an Antarctic iceberg. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I was the first person to cave dive inside an iceberg. And uh, when you're the first, there's no handbook that's been written. <laughs> so we had no idea what we would encounter. And we encountered calving. We encountered these ferocious currents that swept us through the iceberg. And on one occasion, pinned us down to the point where we couldn't get out. And uh, uh, yeah, that was that was one where when I finally got out after turning a one-hour dive into a three-hour fight for our lives, first thing I said to the science officer was, the cave tried to keep us today. <laughs> uh-huh. Yep. I mean, mm. and uh, it probably looks kind of like the cave, the, the movie, the cave, huh? <laughs> <laughs> well, that's funny. You know, I was the um, underwater unit director for that movie. If, mm-hmm. if you haven't seen it, that there's oh, something to watch. <laughs> then you can still get it on Netflix. Oh, you can. absolutely can. They sell it on PlayStation Network too. And uh, that, oh, and, okay. yeah, it's all okay. over the place. You can get it. Yeah, um, that was an eight-month job, an eight-month-long job for me that started with having to build uh, rebreathers for the cast and crew, to training, mm-hmm. to script supervision, to supervising stunts, doing stunts, being a stunt double. Um, yeah. It was an incredible job. Uh, but I have to tell you that Hollywood cave diving is probably more dangerous than <laughs> cave diving. It's crazy the things that, that happen on that set that mm-hmm. we had to deal with. It was... Brutal. <laughs> and you were yeah. on the uh, on Sanctum too, right? I did the pitch trailer for okay. Sanctum with yep. um with James Cameron mm-hmm. uh, in Florida, but the film itself was um, shot in Australia, so I wasn't okay. on the crew for for that part of it. Yeah, yeah. Uh, Heather Knowles has a question for you. Um, oh yeah, hi Heather. <laughs> she says hi. Um, how much time have you been able to spend bringing your work to audiences outside of diving? I've always wanted to see a diving film on the Banff uh, Mountain Film Festival. Um, it would yeah. be great if it reached broader, like-minded audiences. Yeah. Uh, well, I mean, part of the reason why I wrote my book, Into the Planet, My mm-hmm. Life as a Cave Diver, was to you know reach out to the to the world beyond our diving community, and, and that's been pretty successful. Um, but there's another opportunity I'll give a plug for. I uh, shot a movie called Under Thin Ice mm-hmm. last year, and uh, it's about climate change in the Arctic. I, I swim, dive with polar bears, narwhals, blugas. It's it's a beautiful movie that I'm really proud of. And um, I was supposed to show it at the Canadian Embassy in Washington last week. Um, it has been you know streaming and playing all over the world, but it hadn't sold in the U.S. yet. Yep. Uh, and so when it was canceled, we worked with the DC Environmental Film Festival to put it online, and until March 31st, you can um, see it for free. Um, it's streaming. It's a 90-minute documentary, and uh, it, it's reached all over the world, way beyond the diving um, marketplace. And um, it's the 
DC Environmental Film Festival, DCEFF. You can just Google that. And um, it's called Under Thin Ice. And we created an app to go with it too. And it's also free on um, Android and Mac. Uh, and it's called Discover the Arctic. So it's um, a really great app about all the wildlife of the Arctic, our journey, and um, climate change. So those resources have reached way beyond the industry, and, and I hope to keep doing more. Nice. <laughs> Thanks, <right>. Heather. <laughs> I'm gonna post hope you're doing good. <laughs> <laughs> She's actually coming on later on, I think, next week. Oh, um, yay. All right. One, um, awesome. David and a couple other people, Josh Brackley, yes. um, about yeah. their... Cool. One of the things they found recently. Um, yeah. I'm posting links for. Yeah, they've been the posting app. some cool uh, mind diving stuff recently. Yeah, yeah, that pretty one. Pretty awesome on, looking. Uh, that's yeah. the Vermont one, right? So. Yeah. Yeah, that's a. I've been trying to get out there. I haven't gotten out there yet. Mm -hmm. So. Um, cool. But yeah, it's beautiful out there. From what I've heard. Yeah, so. I'd like to come down. <laughs> yeah. Um, have you been doing St. Lawrence River at all much this past couple of years, or? A little bit, little yeah, bit. a little bit. Uh, ironically, like right now is the best time because probably the visibility is great. But yep. like I said, I'm kind of in that ethical quandary in my mind right now as to right. when I decide to jump back in the in the yep. water. Yep. I'm dying. I'm, like it's, I've only been out of the water for a couple of weeks. I'm dying. Mm -hmm. <laughs> yep. But but I do realize that uh, you know. This is a little more important than, than my fulfillment of right. diving objectives right now. <laughs> yep. Um, what are your favorite couple of dives up in the river? Oh, that's pretty close for us. Oh man, you know I have the hardest time with favorites yeah. because um, you know, like I just love being in the water. Like mm -hmm. I love free diving as much as I love tech diving you know it doesn't have to be complicated it doesn't have to be deep it doesn't have to be um huge you know sometimes the really simple stuff is special to me like like i like the wolf island ferry in lake ontario because yeah yeah yep. because i because i rode on the wolf island ferry uh -huh. Uh -huh. <laughs> um but i also have like deep wrecks that nobody else has been on in lake yep. ontario that i that, that I love. Um, yeah. I love Tobermory um, in the grotto, mm -hmm. you know, which you could just go swimming in. Yeah. But it's special to me because I did one of my open water dives there and it definitely opened my eyes to the possibility of cave diving. So, yeah. I, so I have a really hard time saying what's the favorite. It's, yeah. um, and I always, you know, whatever it is, good vis or bad, I'll, I like the challenge of finding a way to photograph it so yeah. I can share mm -hmm. what turned me on. Yeah. yeah, I love that Wolf Islander. It's uh, we try to get up there once or twice a year. It's a little yeah. bit of a hike for us, but it we you know, mm. it's yeah. Well, and my my family background is from that area, mm. so my ancestors are all from there, and that's also what makes it special is the whole journey. Yeah, you know, mm -hmm. journey home. Yeah. Um, yeah. What led you into diving? How did you start diving? You know, I wanted to dive from the time I was a little kid. Mm -hmm. I don't even know how to describe it because no one in my family dives, no one in my sphere of awareness was a diver. But I watched Jacques Cousteau on Sunday nights and mm -hmm. um and I also grew up, you know, watching the Apollo missions and yeah. that inspired me to want to be an explorer. And I remember asking about diving and my parents were like, oh, people don't dive in Canada. It's cold, you know. <laughs> um and I just put away my money and I thought, okay, well, you know, I'll, 
I'll do it when I'm able. And I slowly saved my money and, and at, you know, university age finally had enough to go mm-hmm. take a class. But literally from the open water weekend, like I, um, I bought all the equipment before my open water weekend. <laughs> so I owned everything before my open water dives and I did an open water weekend and the next weekend I did my advanced class and the next weekend I was up diving with friends and that winter I did my my rescue diver I just uh I just rolled through one class and another I was I was one of those um even though it was Canada I had my ice diver that first winter you know so yeah yeah. <laughs> just rocking and rolling right after it, right? Yeah, I just I yeah. knew. I just knew this is what I wanted to do. Yeah. Mm-hmm. When did you start cave diving? Uh well on my open water weekend, uh <laughs> my instructor took us to the grotto, which is probably not exactly a suitable spot for an open water dive, mm-hmm. but it, that's retrospect. Uh but just even swimming into that grotto, I went, Oh, you know, I already liked caving. Mm-hmm. I don't have an ounce of claustrophobia and mm. the awareness that I could just breathe in and rise up in this three-dimensional environment. I yeah. thought, whoa, this is for me. Mm. Um, so that was, I guess, a first exposure. Then when I lived in Cayman, I, uh, I always loved the caverns and stuff on the East End where I lived. And I, I was exploring inland looking for caves. And I, I did find one cool cave my first exploration cave and uh ironically i only just learned um that this might indeed be a tourist spot now in Cayman. <laughs> so when stephen frank was uh interviewing me for this the article that's out in um alert diver mm-hmm. uh this this issue of alert diver it's a, a photographic essay of my work but stephen frank interviews me about my life he said to me do you mean that show cave in east end and i said there's a show cave in East End. <laughs> he says, yes, there is. So, well, that's probably the cave that I that I discovered back in uh, you know the early '90s. Uh, I don't know for sure. I got to go visit it. I'm 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 scheduled to go visit in September, and and then once I go there, I'll I'll let you know whether that's the cave <laughs> or whether nice. there's another one that they haven't found yet. Right. Of mine. <laughs> yeah. I'll post a link to that article right now. Oh yeah. Beautiful. Yeah. I actually haven't seen the magazine yet, but I just, I know it's out. So yeah, got a few, a few messages about it. Nice. <laughs> That's good. Um, when did you start getting, uh, what's the best way to say it? Um, I guess exposure, more exposure on a like presentation movie, more well-known, how that kind of transition happened as an mm. explorer. Like, you know, I'm trying to say, like, there's not a great way to ask that question, I guess. Yeah, so a lot of people don't know that uh, my educational background is in fine arts. So I have a visual communications background. And my first career in life, I had an ad agency. Uh, So I was working in advertising and then teaching scuba nights and weekends. And literally one day I went, oh, my life is backwards. (laughs) (laughs) Underwater being creative, not Mm -hmm. inside an office being creative. and so I sold everything and moved to the Cayman Islands and thought, all right, you know, how do I do this? And I thought, well, how am I going to make money being an underwater professional beyond just being an instructor at a resort? Mm-hmm. Um, that's how I cut my teeth was being the instructor at the resort and mm-hmm. taking pictures underwater. But I thought, hmm, I'll, uh, you know, I'll start taking pictures. I'll start writing articles for dive magazines and, um, um, 
and slowly just started getting more and more material out there. And, um, and then when I moved to um, the U.S. to do more cave diving, I connected with, uh, with my colleague of, you know, more than 15 years, Wes Skiles, and I started mm-hmm. doing work in television and, and movies with him. And, um, and that was all she wrote, really. Uh, but it's always been this weird hybrid career of photography, writing, filmmaking, you know, training, consulting, everything. So that if I was really busy in one aspect, um, you know, I still had other things that I could do if the one aspect got quieter. Yeah. Oh, it's the dive industry <laughs> now, in general, right? All of it. Is yeah, that except yeah. that now everything disappeared. <laughs> <laughs> yes, exactly. Everything is weird. Well, except for social media and writing, and I mean, you can still write and do some pictures and stuff. Oh but, yeah, 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 yeah. No, just everything that actually had a had a pay associated. <laughs> I am creative. I will figure it out. Yes. It'll it'll come together. <laughs> yeah. Um, what shop were you with in Cayman when you were you were teaching? Uh, I was living at the Cayman Diving Lodge on the East End. So it was a little teeny 12-room hotel, dedicated mm-hmm. diver's resort. And back in you know the early 90s, that uh, there was like kind of a rough road out to East End. But it was an hour's drive from the populated west side of Cayman. So yep. we didn't get day trippers and snorkelers and mm-hmm. everything else. We got people that came to the lodge for a week or two or a month. And, and we lived with them. We fed them three meals a day. We went diving with them. It was that kind of a live aboard experience on land, really. Yep. Um, but for me, uh, like the diving on the East End was just unbelievably, uh, you know, better than any of the other diving on the island. It's on the windward side. It's a little rougher, um, less dived, but beautiful sights. Um, yep. So that's where I was for, uh, you know, two and a half years, almost three years. Yeah. Yeah. Sometimes yeah. the the sites that are harder to get to are the better ones, right? So mm-hmm. yeah, yeah. and and the windward side of the island tends to be, you know, beautiful nutrient rich, mm-hmm. robust coral and straight deep walls with beautiful swim throughs and tunnels and caverns and mm-hmm. all kinds of cool stuff. Yeah. Um so are you currently teaching still? You're talking about how you were a instructor previously. Do you still teach mm-hmm. anything or what do you do? Uh yeah, I I am still an instructor and uh I've you know, pretty much isolated it down to like cave diving and some of the real, you know, specialized aspects of, you know, rebreather and cave diving um, because I have less and less time to be able to teach. Um, and yeah. right now it's definitely a challenge, but, um, yeah. but yeah, I'm still involved in teaching and still involved in, you know, writing instructional materials and, and consulting with a few different agencies on, on, you know, safety practices and standards and things like that. Yeah. yeah. Um, I'm assuming the question will pop up. So before it pops up, I'll ask it. Mm-hmm. What rebreathers do you teach and dive? That's one we've been yeah. getting. For your so I'm diving um, the Hollis Prism 2 and the Liberty Side Mount. Mm-hmm. I'm only teaching on the Hollis Prism 2 now. I do have instructor credentials on about 12 rebreathers, all mm-hmm. of which I've owned. Every rebreather that I teach on, I've owned and dived a lot, mm-hmm. but I've been a serial uh, user of different rebreathers over the years, and I will only teach one rebreather at a time because I think um, you know your heads, your heads in one rebreather. And um, I think I serve my students well just by saying, "Listen, I'm going to teach you what I am most active on and what I'm using all the time, because that's where my muscle memory is. That's where yeah. my head's at. I mean, 
I mean, I still, you know, when we talk bailout, I'll still like do a hand motion of woof. <laughs> uh-huh. And that's my, that was my Cislunar Mark V. Now mm-hmm. my Cislunar Mark V, I started diving in 97, right? Mm-hmm. I still do that, right? Uh-huh. <laughs> you know, the, you know, the, mm-hmm. the Hollis is a lever instead, yeah. but um, it, so it's interesting how some of that stuff sticks from your original, but, oh, um, but yeah, I really think uh, I, you know, I dive my prism a lot and I, I really don't want to teach someone on something that I'm not diving a lot on. Yeah. I think that's a massive point. I think there's so many people that, I mean, the difference of opinion for a lot of people, but I'm yeah. in the exact same wheelhouse that you are, that you should be pretty limited on that whole aspect and, you know, to be hopping yeah. around different rebreathers. There, there's differences. I mean, I don't even dive different. Um, I have my, Prism 2 on my SMS 75 because yeah. I, I don't want to switch where anything is on technical dives. Everything's got to be in the exact same spot for me. See, that's so. interesting because I actually integrated my um, my uh, Hollis Katana side mount um, onto my Prism so that it's the same mm-hmm. um, the same harness exactly when I'm diving side mount or when I'm diving rebreather. But yeah, I, I agree. Like I know there's some shops that will teach you know five or six different rebreathers and instructor i'm like how do they do that like mm-hmm. sure principally all rebreathers are the are the same i mean there, there's a lot of material that's general but the most important part of rebreather training in my mind is the time that you're spending in the water with the student i mean they can learn all the book learning mm-hmm. e-learning right um, yep. but in the water in between the dives when you're talking about specific instances of the conditions we've just dived and the experiences that we've just had um and I think that the student learns so much from watching the minutia of what you do and how you handle things and how their buddies do as well um, that I just can't imagine wanting to teach more than one at the same time. Mm-hmm. Yep. Um, yeah. It looks like somebody from my shop asked, what's her favorite CCR and does it depend on the dive, which is kind of what we just talked about. I'm assuming yeah. that's Sean well, that popped in there. But. You know, there's something I can add there because people always ask me, what should I buy? Mm-hmm. You know, and, and um, you know, when you ask the internet, what rebreather should I buy? Everyone <laughs> on the internet will tell you whatever they're diving, right? Uh-huh. Because they're into it. Yep. <laughs> they're using it for a reason and they've also spent, you know, 12 grand getting there or more. Right. <laughs> uh, so my answer is that um, the best rebreather is the one that's right for you. Um, I think there's some bare, bare minimums. Like I, I only want to dive a rebreather that's independently third-party tested mm-hmm. and qualified CE or equivalent because um, we have a big enough market to demand at least that much testing mm-hmm. of life support equipment. So this whole like not, you know, providing that kind of material is to me absolutely a no-go for a rebreather uh so you need that you need to have local support you need to have an instructor that's diving similar conditions and things that you are so you need access to an instructor that that can teach you on that rebreather access to service you don't want to ship it all the way around the world at huge financial you know costs uh to get service um and and beyond that, you know, what's, what's, what's right for you really. Mm-hmm. Um, so that should be your favorite rebreather. <laughs> <laughs> like there are it. a lot of good ones out there. Yeah. As long as we're yeah. talking, you know, level playing field, third pest, third party independently tested CE or equivalent. Yeah. 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 I have the same pain, but the same thing. Mm-hmm. It's uh, I, I got into it. I 
I left the side mount form because of this, but like everybody's like, you know, somebody asked their opinion on a couple of different things and everybody just shouted out with their whatever they're on with an exclamation point. Like you, yeah. you're not giving any suggestion at any shape or form. You're just seeing what yeah. you have in your garage. So um, that's right. You know, yeah, it's, it's it's interesting with rebreathers though. You gotta do a lot of research before yeah. you buy a rebreather. You have to know a lot before you take a class mm -hmm. and um like there are probably some people listening right now that go, what the hell is third-party independent testing mm -hmm. CE equivalent or other? Right, yeah. <laughs> or um, they're going, oh, well, I tried one in the pool, and, it, and I like the XYZ. Yeah. Well, you just fell in love with a harness. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. You just fell in love with something that was placed properly on your body, fitted. Mm -hmm. uh, but you have absolutely no information from that tri-dive mm -hmm. that would be useful for making a choice on a life support system. Yep. Uh, what you need to know about are concepts like work of breathing and CE mm -hmm. testing and um, you know, oxygen cell tracking and yada, yeah. yada, yada. And I could go on and on and on. So you right. need to know a lot before you make a choice. Mm -hmm. There's probably even rebreather divers that are listening now that go, I have no idea what she's talking about. <laughs> <laughs> yep. Uh, and then I would say, I think you should find out, try and get that test data from your manufacturer mm -hmm. so you understand um, fully work of breathing and how your rebreather is tested and how it differs in canister roll off from 40 meters to hundred meters. Mm -hmm. Like, um, you know, the duration that you have in 40 meters of water versus the duration that you have in hundred meters of water can be exponentially different from brand yep. to brand and design to design. Yeah, absolutely. Um, yeah. So I think there, there's a lot of um, knowledge gap in, mm -hmm. in our community on stuff like that. Yeah. Um, it's, it hasn't popped up yet. I know it's going to be a question. Front mounted or back mounted counter lungs? Uh, I just switched to um, uh, the, the prisms back mounted, which are kind of like back mounted slightly over the shoulder. Mm -hmm. yep. <laughs> and I uh, I do really like them. Uh, the workup breathing score, looking at the graphs and everything is really good. So I'm, I'm happy with those. Uh, the, the one thing that I didn't like about the over the shoulder like the over the shoulders were fine for me right mm -hmm. except that um reaching around and grabbing you know your dry suit dump yep. in arctic undergarments was sometimes a bit tough for me i'm going yep. <laughs> mm -hmm. trying to reach it and, and it's because there were stiffeners in in those counter lungs um and so that's why i decided to try the back mounted mm -hmm. but then the the wonderful thing about the back mounted is just how clean the front is, and because it's now on my katana harness, it's exactly like my side mount this yep. way. So, yep. so I like it. So I didn't dislike the over the shoulders, um, it, other than that tough reach for me. Um, the I just do like a more open front, mm -hmm. but only if you get the work of breathing with it. So yep. that's my caveat. That works. Yeah. Um, mm. Oh, Heather wants to know what your thoughts are on BOVs. Oh, yeah, I'm opinionated on that. Apparently. <laughs> <laughs> probably knows. Uh, okay, so your BOV is only going to be useful if it is plumbed to the right gas in the right amount for the emergency, right? So if you just have a BOV and you're only plugged into your onboard dill, what good is it? You're still going to have to switch to an offboard tank, right? Mm -hmm. So the benefit of a BOV is that with you know one hand very quickly you can switch to open circuit. 
Now, why would you switch to open circuit? That's question number one. You have to switch to open circuit if you think that something's wrong, right? Mm -hmm. Or if you've had a catastrophic loop failure, ripping, tearing, disassembling the loop, um, or a CO2 emergency, right? Mm -hmm. um, now, if you, if you have a CO2 emergency, um, it's a really good thing to be able to switch quickly and easily because when you have a CO2 emergency, taking one thing out of your mouth and putting another one in is, um, is a big deal. And I've been with people who've had a CO2 emergency. It's almost impossible to get them to make a switch, right? Now, if you catch the CO2 issue early enough, it's fine. You get off the loop on open circuit, blah. Mm -hmm. so, um, so back to the fact that if you have that BOV, it must be plumbed to a meaningful volume and type of gas, the right gas. So if you're doing a deep trimix dive, for instance, that means that you might have to have some kind of like an off-board system that's plugged into counter lung, that's extra gas plumbing that you're going to have to switch at different courses of the dive so that it's always plugged to the right gas so that you don't unintentionally bail out something hypoxic or whatever. Mm -hmm. um, so does that plumbing add new issues, new failure points? Does that plumbing add um, stuff that's not um, the equivalent of, you know, EN250, you know, mm -hmm. good breathing? Like, like you've got to be able to switch to something that um, is not going to cause or exacerbate CO2 issues. And unfortunately, some of the BOVs that people are using do not pass CE because of the volume within the BOV and the potential for carbon dioxide um, buildup. Mm -hmm. So um, all that being said, I've chosen not to use a BOV um, because I think that the simplicity of the switch, and I'm always practicing like on every dive, um, I think that works better for me. Mm -hmm. Now, if someone's only ever gonna recreationally scuba dive in the 40 meter range, uh, it sure makes a lot of sense to have a BOV. Mm -hmm. Again, because they can switch easily and they can come right up, right? Mm -hmm. But for me, I really like to keep things the same all the time. And uh, again, uh, for me, that means just using a, a DSV, one less, well, multiple less failure points. And, um, and I'm trained and practiced on the switch. Mm -hmm. Good. I felt a little bit better about that too when I had the CO2 sensing um, available, which I don't have in the prism, but right. um, we'll get there. Yeah. We'll get Definitely. there. Uh, one of the questions was, they, uh, Anna wants to hear a little bit more about uh, maybe some of the dive sites you've done around the U.S. and you know maybe some mm -hmm. of the ones you've liked. Um, I think people are trying to find something to do heading out, and most of our uh, watchers are from the U.S. right now, so I think it's a good yeah, question. okay. Well, I lived in cave country in Florida for almost 20 years. Mm -hmm. <laughs> I only moved back full-time to Canada a couple of years ago, um, so I love cave country. Um, whether you're a cave diver or not, the springs are incredible, and the rivers, um, some of the clear rivers are absolutely amazing drift mm -hmm. dives. I mean, North Florida is beautiful. Mm -hmm. um, you know, off the East Coast, Fort Lauderdale area, I love the deep wrecks there. They're amazing. Or even, you know, the Oriskany. Mm -hmm. um, you know, the Keys, it's definitely, I've seen that change quite a bit through yeah. my lifetime mm -hmm. um, in terms of the decline of, of, of the quality of the, the reef life, um, mm -hmm. which kind of makes me sad. But there's some really exciting new stuff happening there with Coral Reef Restoration yep. Society and the projects that they're doing there. 
Um, and that's interesting to see in and of itself. Or Jules Verne Lodge is worth a, worth yeah. a hit. Yeah. yeah. Yep. I did my I um, eat it. <laughs> yeah. Um, I mean, you know, up and down the coast, the Carolinas, um, there's great great wrecks, great sharky life. Um, you know, megalodon shark teeth mm-hmm. <laughs> in the Cooper River or offshore in the Carolinas. Um, you know, upstate New York, dive in the Finger Lakes, right. uh, Lake Champlain. Um, you know, St. Lawrence River is probably one of the best kept secrets that still a lot of people don't know about. It's practically tropical in the summertime, right? <laughs> uh-huh. Really yeah. warm. And who 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 knew you mm-hmm. know, on the Canadian U.S. border that you could get 78 degree water in August? Right. Yeah. Year to year, mm-hmm. I mean, it used to be a lot clearer. Sometimes that 70, 78 degree water is really pumping out a lot of algae bloom nowadays, right. but it's yeah. still pretty cool. Yeah. The number of people that don't realize how much diving is there is just so it's, much. It's, so much. it's crazy. Um, you can spend your whole lifetime just doing the wrecks of the okay. St. Lawrence. Yeah. Yep. Yep. Yeah. Um, you do a lot with the Great Lakes piece. I mean, obviously Ontario because that's close to you, but um, yeah. other ones. Yeah. So I learned to dive in uh, Tobermory and Lake Huron, and I still love Tobermory so much. Um, Superior's great. Um, Oh God, you know, all the Great Lakes are great. I was fortunate enough to uh, dive Lake Erie before zebra mussels, uh, but now all the wrecks are big, massive piles mm-hmm. of zebra mussels. Um, yep. But I'm of the philosophy, I'll dive anywhere, right? Like I, you know, I've only been back here in the Ottawa area for a couple of years. And so I'm just jumping in everywhere, uh-huh. <laughs> um, you know, just Googling places that were intentionally flooded from dams and, uh-huh. and, and I'm finding, you know, good, bad, and ugly places. Um, I'm jumping in, jumping in the Ottawa River, which some people are like, "What? This sucks. <laughs> it's polluted." I'm like, "Well, you know, there's a lot of wrecks in there." Yeah. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and uh, even right outside my house, uh, you know, I just go. I I use the. Uh, it's called the Mississippi River. It's a different Mississippi River, mm-hmm. but I just use the river there um, for jumping in and staying fresh and. You know, if I haven't been on my rebreather in a couple of weeks I'll, and I'm going on a big dive, I'll jump in there and do a, a, a dive. It's my pool, basically. Yep. Um, and then I found all kinds of, like, bottles and broken china and things mm-hmm. in the river. I even found uh, what is still to be determined, either a Rolex or a Folex watch. <laughs> <right>? <laughs> I love it. Yeah. 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 Um, how far is that? You said you got a, the cave that's that's. Or yeah, it's a cave that's not too far away from you, right? So yeah, yeah, uh, yeah. It's less than an hour. Well, well, about an hour drive for me, and uh, there's ten kilometers of cave passages. Uh, but it's high flow, dark, cold. Um, it's nasty, but uh, it's really interesting because there's some endangered species um, that I'm uh, helping to survey and document for a, a local biologist at the Museum of Nature and. And um, this particular part of the Ottawa River is free of zebra mussels. So um, that's pretty exciting. Uh, and we're trying to figure out why. And because it's free of zebra mussels, uh, there's a lot of species that have survived here that have gone extinct elsewhere. Interesting. Yeah. Okay. Um, what is some very interesting... Um, What's your favorite animal you've been interacted with, uh, diving-wise? <laughs> I want to word it correctly. Whale sharks, maybe humpback whales. Um, well, 
polar bears, narwhals. <laughs> yeah. Uh, again, that's really hard to choose a favorite. I right. mean, there's been some really amazing experiences. I mean, one of my favorite marine life experiences was I was swimming in a pod of a hundred humpback whales and wow. in, in and amongst Cablin. It was like, holy crap. That, and it actually was holy crap because um, a mother and baby kept coming in really close mm -hmm. to me and showing the mother showing off the baby and she came around about five times i was in the water for five hours <laughs> um so she kept coming by over and over again and then a big bull comes by really close close enough that my buddy Cass actually high five the pectoral fin <laughs> and then his tail fluke went right across the dome of my camera within like a millimeter and the backwash was so strong that it was like, like tumbled backwards <laughs> and then that big bull humpback took an enormous shit <laughs> and i was just like, like i could smell like the mix of capelin and crap through, uh -huh. through my uh through my mask <laughs> wow. yeah. yeah that's amazing that was fun <laughs> <laughs> i bet it was yeah. um so what advice could you have for some newer divers just trying to go out and find some things to do we spent a whole lot of time on tech recently and i kind of want to um come back around to some more recreational type stuff yeah um just go out and do it i mean uh i remember when i started diving and I, like i bought every book that was available we couldn't just do we didn't have the internet to do a search mm -hmm. right so I bought every book that was available. Like, where can I dive? Where where can I do this? And and that seemed to be like the biggest mystery. Like, where do people dive? <laughs> and I would go through the book and I'd be like, okay, well, I just saw the Maple Dawn wreck. And, oh, but I've never been here. I've never been to the St. Lawrence. I'll go to the St. Lawrence and who can take me there? And I felt like, I guess I had the impression that there was some sort of, um, like it had to be written about in order to, to be a dive site right yep. um and i would say to people now is anything anything <laughs> is a dive site so just go out and explore you know yep. you don't have to jump on a boat charter shore dive right yep. um you're gonna jump in a lot of places and go all right i did it i won't do that again right mm -hmm. yep. <laughs> but any place is is a potential dive site if you have permission to to jump in the water i mean underneath a um you know a dock right? Right. has its own interesting wildlife and um, potential for like treasure. Mm -hmm. Yeah. <laughs> so any place is a dive site, just go out and do it. And the more you do it, the more you're going to love it and, and buy your equipment so that you can do that. Mm -hmm. um, because when you own your equipment, you're going to dive a lot more when it fits you well and it's what you want. You're going to dive a lot more. Yeah. And that brings up an interesting point that the idea that, Okay, so I'm starting out diving, so I'm going to dive the spots that everyone dives. But my, I aspire to be the people that dive the spots where no one else has dove. Well, you can yeah. just go out and dive the spots that no one else dove. Just find somebody else to dive with and dive them and yeah. problem yeah. solved. Um, we are all explorers. And, right. and, you know, like in cave diving, when we're looking for new caves, even when we're in a, like a cave-rich area, we might dive – you know, 10 different spots, like in, in Mexico, we might dive 10 different cenotes before we find one that goes, right? Mm -hmm. um, and it's the same way with just jumping in, you know, lakes and rivers around here. I'm That's what I'm doing these days. I'm just going to all these different places. And as long as I've got, you know, permission, I'll jump in and give a little putz around. And, and mm -hmm. um, 
I'm 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 looking for things that are interesting. Like I don't I don't have to find a wreck. Like if the thing is full of crayfish, you know, then I'm gonna find out more about crayfish or maybe do some macro photography. Like like right now with this cave in the Ottawa River, I'm studying the sex life of mussels. <laughs> <laughs> nice. And you might go, what? Mm-hmm. <laughs> but it's pretty interesting. Mm-hmm. Like these these endangered mussels that we have can only survive and their reproductive cycle can only happen if they're associated with a host lake sturgeon. So there's lake sturgeon I get to look at oh, too. Wow. Nice. Um, yeah, so there's always something. If you enjoy being in the water, you'll find something everywhere. Yeah. Um, mm. I guess the natural next question would be, how do you deal with, I guess, property owners at that point in time? I know I know that's that's mm. somewhat the, the situation in Mexico and um, Florida with the caves. I mean, I'm not experienced mm-hmm. with that, but I know that's yeah. mitigating that is interesting. But the same thing up here is what you'd have to go through. You said get, it, get permission. Mm. How do you do that? Yeah, so... Um, you know, in the old days, when I was a youngster, mm-hmm. we used to do sneak diving, right? Mm-hmm. To go, like, sneak into a cave diving site. And that, that was just flat out wrong. It's trespassing. Mm-hmm. It's, it's, it's not right. Um, and, and these days, uh, it's really, really important to ensure that you have landowner permission if you're accessing someone's land to get to a dive site. Um, but if you contact them and just say, hey, I'm really interested in going diving. I have a waiver. That I'd like to give you that I'm willing to sign that, you know, will give you some comfort that there's never going to be a legal ramification if something mm-hmm. happens to me. And here's my promise to you. I'm going to come back from this dive and we're going to have a coffee. I'm going to take you out for coffee and tell you what I learned mm-hmm. or show you the pictures or, or whatever. So I've managed to get into a lot of caves that people have said no to others on because I'm willing to bring them back the stories and the pictures, like make it a, an exchange. Mm-hmm. It's not, you give me this access. It's, right. it's, hey, um, if you give me this access, you know, then let's get together. And I've made some really good friends that way. So that's, that's a good way to do it. Um, of course, the other option is that, um, that you access the nearest boat ramp and then you just go uh, dive offshore so that you're not affecting anybody's landowner rights. Yeah. So I have um, an inflatable kayak, like a really a good inflatable kayak uh, made by Hobie Cat. It's got those little foot pedals, right? <laughs> kayak paddle. Uh, and I could just throw that in the back of the car and go anywhere and paddle to a location. And then I'm not affecting anybody's landowner relations. You know, it's just like, to give you an example, you know, Ginny Springs that so many people go to, they're the landowners, but they don't own the water. Mm-hmm. So when you are... Um, uh, paying your entry fee there, you're paying them an access fee to their property, right? But if you actually got in the Santa Fe River in your own boat and you went to um, the, the, the cave entrance of your cave diver, right, and you anchored your, your boat not contacting their land, um, they don't control the access to that cave itself. So legally, you know, they're the landowner, but not the water owner. So understand riparian rights like understand where someone's land stops and where the public um access begins and then you won't you know step on anyone's toes (laughs) Mm -hmm. yeah Yeah. i think the uh which you kind of left out a portion of the the first half is pretty self-explanatory you 
grab the inflatable, you jump in the jump in the water, you paddle it to where you want to do, and then you get out of the inflatable. But it's an inflatable kayak, which leads to the question of how do you get back into the kayak, or do you just swim back to the the dock? <laughs> no, it's actually it's actually it's pretty easy. When I side mount dive, I can get in and out. Like I used to, I used to do this for accessing like Rock Bluff Cave. If you've mm -hmm. ever been there in Florida, um, because we didn't have landowner permission, um, we would just paddle in, and um, and I can get in and out of out of that um, that kayak. Okay, with side mounts, <laughs> it's so, a little tougher with the rebreather, but yeah. it is possible. Really? So do you just mm -hmm. um, hang Practice. the hang? <laughs> hang the cylinders and pop in or do you roll yourself back in there uh yeah so i i, I actually sort of load load the boat from the water and then pull my body in yeah gotcha yeah interesting mm -hmm. that's like everything in in case you upset the boat <laughs> yeah i bet <laughs> have you yeah. upset the boat before oh uh, yeah yeah nice. <laughs> it sounds like there's a story there well yeah i mean when you're when you're learning like practice <laughs> mm -hmm. I kind of grew up in a canoe, so I'm really, really comfortable. Like, even uh, you know, back when I was living on the west coast of Florida, we used to paddle offshore in the canoe, just because um, the west coast of Florida is a lot of sawgrass swamp, mm -hmm. but there's a lot of sinkholes just offshore, uh, uh, and the easiest way to get to those was just to throw everything in the canoe. So we used to throw like two cislunar rebreathers and um, you know four, six, or eight cylinders <laughs> to go do some, some of those deep sinks out there. And, and we would paddle out in the canoe and, and actually get in and out of the canoe with all that gear. Wow. That's <laughs> it, impressive. It's possible. Yeah. And you just anchor it down and tie it off and, and go for your dive, mm -hmm. huh? That is, yeah. It, um, yeah, depending on where you are, you, you got to really think about, um, what will I do if this boat is not there when I come back? Mm -hmm. <laughs> yep. Absolutely. For, you know, not just because the anchor might cut loose, but if you're leaving an empty boat in certain areas, it might not be there when you come back. Mm -hmm. So it, bring a topside buddy to babysit. Uh -huh. <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah. Uh, where is I going to go with that? Uh, <clears throat> well, that's, that's a very interesting progression on how, how to go about that. Um, and so pretty much that I like that idea of the waiver of saying, here, here's a waiver mm -hmm. and, and here's, um, here's, you know, a, a two-way relationship on this mm -hmm. diving that makes it so mm -hmm. that it's a little bit easier. Um, mm -hmm. The With the U.S. being as litigious as it is, it, it complicates mm -hmm. things. Um, right. I know we've, we've had that conversation before. Um, mm -hmm. So it's complicates it, but uh, I, yeah, I like that. Some people will say no, but um, there's always some something that you can offer. Like there, there's other caves in Florida that I wanted to get into, sinkholes I wanted to get into that were um, full of trash, right? Mm -hmm. And so I'm like, hey, I'll clean it up. And in fact, the Florida Speleological Society, the dry caving side mm -hmm. of things, that's the deal they have. They're, they're like, we will clean any sinkhole in Florida. We'll get all the trash out of there. The deal is that first we'll give you the waivers so that nobody's going to sue you. Um, but when the sinkhole is clean, we get to go caving if there's a cave, or we get to go diving if there's a dive. So there's always something that you can that you can trade. I love that. So you guys mm -hmm. do a, do a cleanup, and then you mm -hmm. agree for cleanup. But it's it is essentially sight unseen. We're going to clean the site up. If we mm -hmm. get something great, we get something. If not, you just get a clean. You get a clean sinkhole. Yeah. So it's that's mm -hmm. that's a 
more win on their side, but um, so it's it's a very good way of, of positioning yeah. that. I like that. That's yeah. I think that's uh, something that everybody listening should pay attention to if they're looking for new sites, which is, uh -huh. which is great. Well, even you know when you think of um, uh, in Florida, we used to have access to a, a spring called Telford Spring. We used to use it a lot. Uh, but so did um, a lot of local people that didn't appreciate it in the way the cave divers did. And there was mm -hmm. trash. It was a mess, constantly a mess. And so the um, NSS CDS, the National Speleological Society Cave Diving Section, went to the landowner who said, I'm just going to close it up. I'm just mm -hmm. not going to let people come. Um, are we getting a, oh, I just heard a, like an emergency broadcast alert. I think that's in my house. <laughs> yeah, it is. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, um, probably an amber alert. So uh, we went to the landowner and said, what what problems are you having? And they're like, well, everybody's just leaving trash there. And we're like, listen, we know it's not the cave divers, but we're going to put a dumpster there and we are going to commit to cleaning it up once a week. Will mm -hmm. that work for you? And they're like, sure, that'll all work for us. And yeah. that worked for more than a decade until one of those um, – uh, local people was swinging on a rope swing, broke their neck, and then chose to sue the landowner. And then uh, that closed it up for everybody. Yeah, that yeah. is, that's unfortunate. Mm -hmm. uh, yeah. That's, and, and there's, there's stories like that. And that's what mm -hmm. makes people a little shy about allowing people access. Yeah. But, um, yeah. 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 Well, we are just about out of time, actually. Okay. I don't want to take too much of your time, but, um, yeah, no. I'm going for a bike ride. It's sunny and it's well warm. It's about nine degrees out there. So yeah, that's Celsius for anyone that's not paying attention. <laughs> <laughs> it's like, wait, it's what? Yeah. Um, mm -hmm. So well, I really appreciate your time. Um, yeah. And uh, I, if there's anything that um, I put up most of your links, I believe to stuff. Cool. Um, I'll put a link up to your books also if I can find them. Um, and then uh, try and get as much um, uh, action over to those videos as possible. I know that the people thanks. are looking for stuff yeah. to do. Cool. So. Hey, thanks for thanks for everything you're doing at, at Deep Stop Scuba, and also you know thanks for a lot of people might not know that you're going back into the belly of the beast tonight. <laughs> you're quarantine from your own family so that you can uh, help others, and uh, and that is pretty amazing. It's a sacrifice, and and I know. I and everyone appreciate what you're doing. Yeah, thank you very much. Mm -hmm. um, it's well. been a, <laughs> it's been a pleasure talking to you, um, yeah. and we will and I'll be plenty around of doing nothing for hours and hours and hours on end. So if you want to chat again, we're welcome okay. to chat. Okay. I don't know. They might not let you out of that hospital ever. Yeah. Yeah, right. exactly. <laughs> so, well, all right, Joe. Well, thank you right. very much. Take care of yourself. Thanks. You too. Thanks, well. Joe. Take Same. care. Bye. Bye.